I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Livewire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Luke Burbank. Thanks for checking into the Live Wire podcast. Did you know we're running a little survey over at our website about the podcast? The idea is that we want to make this the absolute bestest podcast it can be. And you can help with that by going to livewireradio.org slash survey and telling us what you think. Also, we've got some cool prizes and other things to thank you for your time. This edition of Livewire originally aired March 21st, 2015. Enjoy. Hey, it's Luke Burbank. This is Livewire Radio, and we're backstage at Revolution Hall here in Portland, and we've got a great show coming up for you. We've got Gregory Gorday and Doug Adams here. They were both finalists on Top Chef. We've got Locke Lamond playing music, and our theme is The Sky is the Limit because we have astrophysicist Sarah Seeger here as well. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Luke. Great to be here. So this Mars One mission where people are planning on taking a one-way trip out into space, is that something you would ever do? Like, not me personally. I just like to look at the sky. I don't really want to go there. What do you think they're actually going to find when they get there? Well, it's going to be amazing for them to be the very first people to ever walk on another planet. But once they get over that initial excitement, I think it's going to be pretty tedious. It's certainly going to be tough for them to get along with each other. Are there any astronauts who just everybody knows they hate each other? Oh, I'm not party to that, unfortunately. All right, well, uh, we're going to get all the space gossip that you do know about Sarah Seeger right now when we head out on that stage. From PRI, Public Radio International, it's... Recorded in front of a live audience at Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon, it's Livewire with Top Chef finalists Gregory Gorday and Doug Adams, astrophysicist Sarah Seeger with music from Locke Lamont and our fabulous house band, and now the host of Livewire, the only contestant banned from Star Search for a dust-up with Ed McMahon... Luke Burbank! All right. Thank you, Jason Rouse. Thank you, everybody, for coming out here to Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon. Uh, We have a great show for you. Our theme this hour is The Sky's the Limit. I know that's a little motivational postery, but... We have an actual astrophysicist who's going to come out and talk about trying to find a true Earth twin, which would be a place where we could all live when we're done with this planet, which I think is going to be in about two weeks. Um, And we've got a couple of chefs from right here in Portland, Oregon, who are finalists on the show Top Chef. 
So the sky is really the limit for their careers. Um, I am not somebody who is ever going to be on Top Chef. I am not very good at cooking stuff. Although I was exceedingly bad back when I was in my 20s. I was hopeless in the kitchen. And this had a big impact on my daughter, who was a little kid at the time. And her mom would drop her off at my house for the weekend. And I would just sort of like look at her <laughs> and look at the refrigerator and look back at her. Like, what do we do next? And basically, I settled on one thing that I would cook every Friday night. And I'm using the term cook very generously here. I would uh, make this box of uh, like uh, noodles, fettuccine uh, with a powdered sauce that you add milk and butter to, and then I would get a tube of, uh, of muffins, biscuits, and we would cook those up, and then I would steam some broccoli for 24 to 48 hours <laughs> to just get it really the right amount of <laughs> mushiness, and then after that, uh, the dessert course would be a tube of chocolate chip cookie dough, which we maybe would cook or maybe wouldn't, <laughs> depending on our mood. I did this every Friday night for years and years and years. And uh, when I uh, was in my 30s and my daughter was a young teenager, I got a job in New York City. So I moved out to New York. And this was a big thing for us because we weren't going to be living in the same town. And she came out uh, to stay with me in the summer. And she got there, and I wanted to take her out for some big, fancy New York dinner, something really cool to kind of, like, let her know that this was going to be fun and uh, she was going to really be into coming out to New York. I said, where do you want to go? And she said, let's just make our special meal, which I didn't even realize at any point was a special meal. It was just literally the only thing I knew how to apply heat to. And, I mean, there was enough gluten in the biscuits to fell all of the Montessori kids in Portland. <laughs> who I assume are not okay with that kind of stuff. So instead of going out somewhere fancy, we spent the whole day trekking around, trying to find this one kind of horrible fettuccine Alfredo in a box, because that was the kind that we used to always have. And we made this thing, and we, we were sitting on cardboard boxes, because I was in this new apartment, nothing was unpacked, and we were... Uh, you know, eating off of paper plates in this sweltering apartment in Brooklyn, and it was probably one of the top five meals of my entire life. And what I think I figured out was, if you're going to be really crappy at something, do it a lot so it becomes a family tradition. <laughs> this is my unsolicited advice here on this show. Hey, speaking actually of, um, speaking of cuisine, as I mentioned, we have a couple of uh, Top Chef finalists here on the show uh, tonight, and uh, we thought it would be really interesting if we had our own cooking competition here as part of LiveWire. Uh, so we've got a couple of our staffers here who are going to be facing off. We have Sean McGrath and Andrew Harris taking part in a segment we're calling Bottom Chef. <laughs> Hi there, guys. Hello. Hi there. Okay, so uh, let's go through the rules of Bottom Chef. Uh, we've given each of you $25. You are only allowed to spend it at the 7-Eleven down the street. From this theater. Um, now, you were also allowed to bring a wild card item from home. What was your wild card item? I brought a frozen tilapia filet. I want to just uh, mention for anyone who's just now joining us, they will be cooking this on the stage throughout the show. We do have a couple of 
cooking station set up right next to the drum kit. So, uh, Sean, what were your uh, what were your ingredients? Well, um, I didn't I didn't think it was fair that Andrew cook for the gluten free chef, so I decided to take on that task as well. Oh, really? Yeah. So I'm also cooking. I'm cooking for both chefs. Um, Fritos scoops, not the Frito regular ones, but the scoops. Um, I have a can of tomato soup, uh, green beans, a can of sugar snap peas, um, a can of vegetable soup, a lemon, a lime, uh, some olives, and then something called the bomb burrito. <laughs> and it's, How, what's your plan for integrating the bomb burrito into this whole thing? I'm gonna, I'm just gonna dissect it, get rid of the tortilla, and then use the the meaty or the non-meaty goodness inside. It's green chili and beans. All right, so uh, Sean McGrath and Andrew Harris, they will be cooking throughout the show. We're going to check in with them in just a few minutes. That is going to be our bottom chef competition this hour. And you are, of course, listening to Livewire Radio, the show that shoots for the moon the old-fashioned way, with a gun, (laughs) drunk as a skunk. We'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by ErgoDepot.com, who are not kidding around when it comes to making you healthier. There are healthier ways to sit, and they've got them all. Sit-stand seating, saddle seats, kneeling chairs. If you've got to sit, shouldn't you sit healthier? We sure think so. Find out more by visiting ErgoDepot.com. Welcome back to Live Wire Radio from PRI. I'm Luke Burbank. I'm your host. This week, we are talking about reaching for the stars, which is something our next guest knows a ton about. Sarah Seeger is an astrophysicist and pioneer when it comes to planets that orbit stars other than the sun. These are known as exoplanets. Her groundbreaking research has led to new space mission concepts and innovative theories about life in other worlds. She's been called an astronomical Indiana Jones. Her current quest is the holy grail of astrophysics, a true Earth twin. Please welcome Professor Sarah Seeger to Livewire. Hi there, Sarah. Hi, Luke. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Hi, everyone. <laughs> so, um, this is pretty sad really for me but it never occurred to me that there were planets rotating around other stars as in things that aren't the sun not that i'm self-centered but i hadn't given much thought to it what are what do these exoplanets look like well what's so amazing is that we haven't found anything at all like our own solar system everything is different and crazy and all possibilities are out there one of my favorites is a planet called kepler 10b it's more massive than earth but it's so close to the star if we were to go there we would just melt And it's so hot that we think the surface is just melted, so there are liquid lava oceans everywhere. So how do you study something like that? What are you actually looking at when you're studying something like this? The thing is, there's just so many different ways, but typically, yes, we're looking at the star. And in most cases, we don't see the planet directly, unfortunately. I hate to disappoint you, but we're just seeing an indirect effect on the star because of the planet. So in some cases, the planet goes in front of the star, and as it passes in front, the light drops by a tiny amount, and we can measure that. Um, what about a true Earth twin? What, is, um, what does that mean exactly? Well, what it means is a planet like Earth, which would have oceans and continents and a thin atmosphere and the right temperature for life. 
But we don't have any Earth twins yet. It's sort of a long-term goal, even though we already know about thousands of exoplanets, the Earths are just out of reach at the moment. But do you think that there is one out there? Well, let's put it this way. Our sun is one star out of hundreds of billions of stars bound together in our Milky Way galaxy. And our Milky Way galaxy is just one out of hundreds of billions of galaxies in our universe. And we think every star has, a, has at least one planet. So there are so many planets, we, we can't even count them. We haven't found them yet. We've only found the ones nearest to us. But it seems inevitable that there's an Earth somewhere. Well, does that mean that it's inevitable that there's life out there? Wow, that's a tough one. Um, I would personally say that scientists never want to speculate. But if you ask Let's my... just speculate for a minute, <laughs> Professor Seeger. Right, okay. Well, the funny thing is, is that just based on the sheer numbers out there, I am absolutely convinced there must be life somewhere out there. Exciting news right. for the people here at Revolution Hall. Some of them tired of the people on this planet. Would like to meet some people from right, another right. planet. You know, but what I'm guessing is that there's no biologists in this audience because the biologists hate that statement. They well, say, "Why? Well, we have no evidence. There's absolutely no. We don't understand how life on our own planet originated and how life formed and evolved. And so, it's arrogant just to assume that this would happen um, anywhere else over and over again without us actually understanding it. But isn't? I mean, like you said, mathematically. It's not infinite, but it's nearly infinite, right? And the right, number right. of possibilities. So that right. raises the chance that there is something Absolutely. else out there. And in astronomy, with space telescopes and ground-based telescopes, we literally see the ingredients for life are very common. We're talking to Sarah Seeger. She's an astrophysicist. This is Live Wire Radio. I heard a, a piece this week uh, about the, the way that people are now able to research the, you know, the solar system and other solar systems uh, through computers. Like, you don't have to actually have time booked out on one of these telescopes. Like, a regular person in their basement can now log into an internet connection and right, look at right. the stuff that scientists... Is that revolutionizing how yes, this kind actually, of research happens? It is, absolutely. And I just want to build on that and say, you know, we all have this romantic notion that the astronomer goes to a dark site and looks through the telescope all night long at the beautiful sky... And yes, that doesn't happen. In astronomy, we're in the computer age, just like everyone else. And a lot of the data is taken by space telescopes, one in particular called the Kepler Space Telescope. And that data is made public. So any of you, Luke, you could actually download the data and look for planets yourself, actually. I'm doing it on my phone right now. <laughs> right. If I sound a little distracted, I just found a real Earth twin. Okay. I'm naming well. it Bonnie. Well, what are the yeah. rules on that, by the way? If you find something, do you just get to name it? Well, see, initially that wasn't so, actually, so we wouldn't be able to name a planet after you, Luke, unfortunately. But basically, um, they're named after the star name. And so some names, for example, HD 209458B. Actually, that was the name um, I was going to pick. Okay, right. Well, a long time ago, there was this guy named Henry Draper, and he cataloged all the bright stars that you, know, you can see, basically. And so when a planet is found, it just gets the little letter B, HD 209458B. But recently, the, the same um, organization, the International Astronomical Union, the same ones that demoted Pluto, they set out rules that you could actually... Well, in, uh, fairness, well, <laughs> Runa, in fairness, Pluto was warned in writing three times <laughs> well, that its well, work as a planet um, was subpar. I mean, okay, they have a whole right. paper trail. <laughs> Um, well, the same group names things, and they actually decided that you could actually submit a name for an exoplanet under a certain number of rules. So no names of people, unfortunately, or you can't name it after your 
kitten or anything. You just have to, it has this sort of set set of rules, but I'm not sure if it's actually ever been implemented so far. Speaking of Pluto, um, why again is uh, Pluto not considered a planet anymore? Well, it it boiled down, unfortunately, to a vote because there were really two specific things. One concept was that if a, a body, a planet, if it's massive enough to pull itself into a sphere... If something's, ma- you know how some asteroids are like potato shaped and other things, but if it's massive ugly enough ones. to be, <laughs> it's massive enough to be a sphere, surely it should be a planet. So okay, um, wait, that's, but the other—that's one, that's one side, right? And the other side was like, well, actually, it has to be ma- mass enough to clear its orbit. Like the asteroid belt, there's a body there called Ceres. People thought that was a planet in the early 1800s, and that got demoted later on. Can you explain what does clear its orbit mean exactly? It means like, for example, of- Earth orbits the sun, and nothing else is sharing Earth's orbit. But in the asteroid belt, there are some big asteroids, and then there's so many tiny asteroids, thousands and thousands of them. But Pluto itself, we didn't know this for about well over half a century, for like 70 years, but Pluto itself is king of the Kuiper belt. There's a whole belt of icy bodies. Pluto's one. So Pluto wasn't massive enough to clear out all that other stuff. And so the fight was between the geophysicists, who go with that round argument, and the dynamicists who want to see the, the planet clear its orbit. And those two groups when of people are fighting. When is that beef going to be squashed? <laughs> um, but there's one more thing which people I want... People dying. Um, I mean, it's um, terrible. Well, <laughs> one more thing I want to run by you. So some people um, felt actually that it would be really hard on, on folks like you, like the public, to, to know that there were more and more planets every year. Because Pluto, there's several Plutos out there now. And there's probably more than, than we can find right now. And let's be honest... <laughs> With weed legal in most states now, we can't remember more planets. <laughs> we basically have the ones okay. we learned as kids. Right. We can't so, add anything well. to the list. Well, um, what do you think is going to be the biggest step forward or the biggest discovery or even kind of discovery in your lifetime when it comes to astrophysics? Well, the one we want to happen and the one that I literally am giving my all to is to finding another planet that we can tell not just its mass or its size, but we can really see its atmosphere from far away, and that we can see gases that absolutely don't belong there, that ruling out all other possibilities are strongly suggestive of life beyond Earth. Are these people that are saying they want to go to Mars on a one-way trip, this Mars One thing, are they completely crazy? Will that mission ever happen, you think? You know, I'm not sure if the Mars One mission will ever happen, but it absolutely will happen that humans will go to Mars, and it's likely going to happen in a private way rather than government-sponsored. I mean, anywhere you go... You can ask people, would you go to Mars on a one-way trip? And you'll always have at least one person, usually a group of people, who say yes. We're born explorers, all of us. Is there anybody in this room who would go to Mars one way? Raise your hand. (laughs) Sir, that is coming as news to your wife. Um, You really could have played that a little cooler than you did. All right, well, we have some explorers here. Sarah Seeger, thank you so much for being on Livewire. Starlog Alpha 1526. Commander Lars Bishop aboard the USS Magellan with Lieutenant Ferris as co-pilot. Any hits on the T-70? No, Captain. Our last planet sighting was well over two weeks ago. Damn it. Earth is all but barren. If we don't find something, the human race is all but finished. Captain. What is it? I'm getting a reading out of Rigel 4. Damn it, Ferris. What is it? It's a planet, sir. Oh, my God, it looks hospitable. Oh, my God, we've done it. We've found a viable planet capable of sustaining life for us all. 
Captain, the geo readings are reporting that gravity differs from Earth when applied to spherical inertia. In English, Ferris, what does that mean? It means it'd be very hard to bowl there. Bowl? Yes, Captain. Uh, people's bowling games would be way off. I, I suppose technically you could still bowl, but you'd have to learn a different style to accommodate the gravity change. Uh, yeah. uh, what yeah. else you got? Yeah, well, uh, I'm also showing another planet in the sta- same star field, but the atmosphere makes it so once you open a bag of chips, they go stale in like a day. Really? One day? I'm afraid so, Captain. As soon as you break the seal, you'd have a, a day, two days max, no matter how many preservatives you put in them. Okay, definitely not then. Yeah, I kind of figured you'd say that. I mean, how would I explain that to NASA, that we found a planet we could all live, but guess what, suckers? Hope you like wasting chips. I'm not going to be the one to break that news, Ferris. We might as well just keep looking. Of course, sir. What else are we looking at? Nothing close by, I'm afraid, but I am getting two readings in the Andromeda galaxy. The first one looks good, but you couldn't grow avocados there. Nope. Next. Well, there's another planet there with arable land and water roughly the same size as Earth, but when you put pennies in your mouth, they taste really bad. Ferris, they taste really bad normally. No, they would taste way worse. Well, would they smell bad too? No, Captain, just when you put them in your mouth. Oh, we better not risk it. Let's move on. Yeah. Well, I do see a habitable moon off Gelnin 80, but the air quality there would make Denzel Washington sound French. <laughs> well, that's not really living now, is it? Anything else? Just one more on the mapping quadrant, Captain. A vibrant world full of waterfalls and rich minerals. But no matter what time you'd set your alarm clock, you would always wake up like eight minutes beforehand. Um, well, what if you knew that was coming and could just set your alarm clock for eight minutes past when you wanted to wake up? So then you just wake up right when you wanted to wake up. No, Captain. According to these calculations, it would know that you were trying to do that, and it would wake you up 16 minutes before your alarm clock setting. Damn it! Oh, yeah. Why must everything be so difficult? I don't know. All right, we'll scramble these findings. We're just going to have to look deeper, farther out into space, and hope that fate gives us a new world. A world where we can be happy, and a world where we don't have to compromise even the slightest inch for our survival. Yes, Sir, what is it, Lieutenant? Oh, never mind. False alarm. I did find a viable planet, but HBO would come in kind of staticky from time to time. We press on! Andrew Harris and Sean McGrath pulling double duty this show, acting in our sketches, and also, if you'll remember, whipping up some unholy type of concoction that they'll be (laughs) presenting later to some of our guests. Our musical guest this hour has been through various iterations, all of them anchored by the haunting vocals of singer and instrumentalist Richie Young. Their latest album is Dresses. Please welcome Locke Lamond to Livewire. Here to ice 
thinking of you is like holding a string from here to Iceland That's Locke Lamond right here on Live Wire Radio. This is Live Wire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. All right, if you are uh, just joining us, we've got a couple of Top Chef contestants coming up on the show here in a minute, and uh, they're going to be judging a cooking competition that we've had going on the stage. Andrew Harris and Sean McGrath, uh, some of our, uh, our staff, making stuff they bought at the 7-Eleven for $25. And uh, our announcer, uh, Jason Rouse, has been over there monitoring the progress. Jason, how's it looking? It looks like you sent two stone 15-year-olds to the store <laughs> and asked them to create a fine Parisian meal. I'm seeing... I don't know what I'm seeing. What looks like turkey gravy with fruit. Um, there's some. He's pouring it into a thing, I think arbitrarily. I'm, am I smelling the fish that Andrew Harris brought as his uh, wild card item? You could be smelling the fish. We also, these are some new burners that have been left on, so you are smelling <laughs> some cooked plastic. Oh, good. And what I think is part of Andrew's belt buckle. <laughs> um, I'm seeing some interesting things. I'm seeing soup, some corn, some green bean type things. What's kind of amazing is that if you didn't know that what they were making was truly inedible, it looks like they're really doing it something. Really, they're really making a good show. The business yeah. that's going on back here 
is amazing. Andrew's worked up a little sweat, and he's, I mean, he's plating right now, I think. Yes, he is. This is, there's a lot of commotion. That's all okay. I know. All right, so uh, we're going to check back in in just a few minutes to actually judge the outcome of your, your labors, and we're going to have some help uh, from our top chefs. That's in a moment. First, I want to mention that Livewire is brought to you in part by New Belgium Brewing. This week featuring Portage Porter, a warm, toasty porter with chocolate aromas and a deep brown hue that tells the world, yes, I can handle a dark beer because I am a person of substance. <laughs> and yes, that is also chicken wing sauce on my face because I contain multitudes. More information can be found at newbelgiumbrewing.com. Last season's Top Chef Boston should have been called Top Chef Boston Brought to you by Portland, Oregon, because two of the final three chefs hailed from right here in the Rose City. So uh, anyway, uh, suck it, New York. Um, Gregory Gorday, the first runner-up, is an ultra-marathon running paleocentric Bikram yoga devotee. He's also the executive chef at Departure. Doug, Dougie Adams... Is the chef de cuisine at Imperial, and uh, in case you have been watching Top Chef, as clearly some of you here have, uh, he says he will never, ever undercook foie gras again as long as he lives. Please welcome Greg Gorday and Doug Adams to Live Wire. Welcome to the show. You had to throw something about foie gras, didn't you? We just <laughs> wanted people to remember which guy from the show you were. <laughs> the short one. He's up for bringing up. Look at him. <laughs> uh, so, is, I mean, is, is that the kind of thing that when you do, you know, unless you win one of these shows, at some point you, di you, you were judged to have not been successful. Is that, for you, Doug, uh, a, a difficult thing to, to see yourself on TV not succeeding? And, and is it embarrassing? <laughs> Jesus well, yeah. Um, it's kind of like watching your middle school girlfriend break up with you on national. Because when you look back, you're like, yeah, it was a game. It was a funny game. But it's, it's very serious, too. It, it was very rough. Did you uh, have those same moments of doubt, Gregory? Um, yeah. I mean, emotionally, physically, mentally, the whole thing was just some crazy roller coaster. Um, you know, it's just a really surreal experience to go through. Um, it's not reality, even though it is reality TV, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, because, you know, in a perfect world, you have all your resources. You know, you're not <laughs> cooking against each other. You have people to help you. And, uh, you know, we're actually, like, chefs. And we don't have to physically do all the work. We kind of more direct things. <laughs> so, um, overall, it was just really, really crazy. And you saw it. You know, we had better days than others. And right. it's, it's, it was just up and down, you know, like life, you know. You know, I should have realized, by the way, this was going to be a raucous crowd because we have kitchen people in the audience. Okay. You guys should be working right now. I know. Saturday I know. night. This is we what should happens. be working right now. <laughs> no, my, my team is in I know. the weeds. <laughs> uh, cooks and people that work in restaurants, I mean, you guys go hard. What's the well, like? What's the personality type that's the drawn to this kind alcoholic of alcoholic and drug addict? <laughs> Gregory used to go hard. I'm in my prime. Yeah, he's 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 just getting started. No, now he's like no. famous. It's let the party begin. You know, it's it's a lifestyle. You you work super super hard and you get off really really late. 
And the kitchen is all about camaraderie. Because, I mean, I'm like sitting up here right now, and you saw on the show we had team challenges. You're only as strong as your team, and that's the most important thing about the kitchen is that you're looking around at the most insane moment, and it's all in it together. So you get off work at one, it's like, yeah, we're going to have some beers. And <laughs> I mean, it, you don't want that to end almost. It's like this feeling of teamwork and camaraderie, and that's really the most important thing. Do you get a grief, Gregory Gorday, for your... The fact that you that uh, you you don't eat gluten, that you don't eat red meat, that you what else is on yeah, the list of I'm things you don't do? Yeah, I'm definitely a pain in the ass. <laughs> but I will always call you before I show up at your restaurant. And I, I'll say though, I go to his. I mean, one was like three days ago. Yeah, I was yeah. at departure. He's a regular. His red meat's awesome in his restaurant. <laughs> I mean, right. It's because that's what you would expect. Like, sure. Oh, I'm going to Gregory's restaurant. There's not going to be any. No, just because I eat that way, I don't make everybody eat that way. But, um, I mean, do you get grief from other? Because, I mean, the, the I do. Pe- people I know usually, who are chefs. I mean, I don't drop the hammer on random people. You know, <laughs> I, I'm usually pretty buddy. You don't and introduce then, yourself and then I'm like, as a... Yeah, I'm going to stop by. Just make sure there's none of this, none of this, none of this, none of this. <laughs> First time he came to my restaurant, I was like, well, I got oysters. So I got oysters on the hatch. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm actually pretty flexible and pretty simple. So there's, there's always something to eat, you know. Uh, we've got Gregory Gorday and Doug Adams here, two chefs from Portland who were uh, very successful on the Top Chef television program, the one that was set in Boston. What, is that, what does that mean as a chef going forward now? Are there opportunities that are open to you that weren't previously because you've had this time on television? Yes and no. It's Portland's such a great town, and I think both of us were really well-grounded in, like, I mean, we follow all the other Top Chefs on, you know, Instagram and Facebook and it's like, oh, he's there. It's like, me and Gregory get up every morning. And it's like, work. I go to Imperial, and I work for Vitaly Paley, and I make awesome food for awesome people and an awesome town. Like, that's, it's grounding, and it's really, really nice. That like, this is, it's, it's really, really fun to cook in Portland and to cook for people that, like, expect awesome food. I mean, that's, in itself, is intense and Yeah, fun I mean, I don't think either thing. of us went on the show, like, for anything outside of maybe a challenge. You know, I don't think we're seriously looking for anything outside of our careers that I already have going on. You know, I'm a few years deep into my restaurant. You know, Doug is, you know, a couple years into his restaurant. You know, he's got a great promotion, you know, after the show. And I was just ready to get back to work and get my head back in it. We um, might be sidekicks for Katsuji on a, <laughs> on a, a crime series coming up. But you guys will get the memo, I promise. I, you guys are, uh, you know... You guys are in the kitchen. You're working. You're making the stuff. This is maybe more of a front of house question, but for for people that are going into restaurants, particularly you know restaurants where a lot of time and effort has gone into the food, what should people not do to be annoying? <laughs> I work in an open kitchen, um, but really nothing. Like I mean, the way that I always approach my restaurant is that I always just try to assume. I grew up in East Texas. My parents didn't have a lot of money, and when they did get to go out. In East Texas, it was like the Outback Steakhouse, and that was for their like anniversary summon. So what I tell all my cooks and my staff is like, imagine that everybody here, this is like a special occasion. Like, assume that everyone doesn't get to go out to eat downtown Portland every single night. It's our job. It's hospitality. It's our job to give you guys. But a- what about trying to also protect them from themselves? Like, for instance, if they they want to like don't take- get wasted, <laughs> don't get wasted, don't, don't get wasted. <laughs> I think the most important thing Treat is your that nice. it is a relationship when a diner walks into our restaurant and if something goes wrong, just don't ever leave a restaurant upset. Just communicate with your server, communicate with the manager. Um, we want to make things right. I think that's the most important thing that everyone leaves an experience happy. It's all about having fun. You know, we want to make sure that you have fun. So just like he said, 
If we're not happy, we'll, we'll make it right. Don't leave upset. Talk about okay. it. Okay. Listen, you guys, first of all, bottom chef, chefs, time is up. It's, I've been looking Whoa, for a bottom chef. you're not going to give them a countdown or anything? Should we count them down? <laughs> yeah. All right. From five. Finish. From five. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Hands up. Hands up. Wow. Greg and Doug, you guys have been so judged during your time on Top Chef. You're constantly, this is awesome. It feels you're great constantly to being be on judged. The other side. We want to provide you guys with a little therapy, a little catharsis, and let you do <laughs> the judging of a little contest that we're calling Bottom Chef. Uh, we've got two of our actors and performers, Andrew Harris and Sean McGrath. They've been on stage with us throughout the show. They've been cooking. The rules of Bottom Chef were you had $25 to spend at the 7-Eleven down the street, and we wanted, you were able to bring one wild card item from home. You've been cooking for the last, I don't know how long, 45 minutes. Uh, what did you guys come up with, Andrew Harris? Yeah, okay, so I have three dishes. I have an app, an entree, and a dessert. Ooh. For our appetizer, All we right. have poached a, egg? a poached egg on a bed of Funyuns. <laughs> with, and they're in an apple Funyun Pinot Grigio reduction. <laughs> Just kind of poured over it. I can tell Gregory coached you because you're an overachiever. <laughs> Three ways. Wow. Uh, this actually, I'm going to tell you, Andrew. It's amazing. This it looks, good. looks like real food it's that you made. A full three-course meal. It is dining month. I've got some paprika there just for plating. That's yeah. beautiful. It's beautiful. Okay. And, um, for the, and I, I, I don't know what the sauce is like, but it smelled vile. So... <laughs> For the uh, entree, I brought a tilapia filet, and it is encrusted. It's baked and encrusted in basically crushed wasabi corn nuts, picante corn nuts, and peanuts. And I have, like, a corn chutney. And when I say corn chutney, I mean all it is is corn. <laughs> and then I slice it. It's a reimagining. Some, yeah. I'm deconstructing yeah, the corn chutney. On it's a corn chutney, <laughs> as they like to say. Sean, do you want to just give up now? <laughs> And then I'm thinking, don't be intimidated, Sean. I'm thinking I should have just gone with the avocado, actually. Andrew Harris, ladies and gentlemen, incredible. Okay, Doug Adams and Gregory Gorday, can you please uh, take a, a sampling of Andrew Harris's selection? They are cutting into the poached egg on Funyuns. What's your review of the po poached egg? Cooked perfectly. You, if you need to use your hands on the Funyuns, that's fine too. They're now, they're really, they're really going for this. By the way. I've got to say it. That's one of the things on Top Chef is if the judges eat more than just a little bit. First, let's get, let's get a review of, of the appetizer. The poached egg, Funyuns, and paprika. Egg is cooked very well. It was, it was all good till I got to that wine sauce. <laughs> good, good textural contrast with the Funyuns. That's very a nice touch. Nice. Very I nice. I love the chili powder. Solid dish. Overall, solid dish. Solid dish. Wow. Solid dish. Okay. Let's move on to the uh, main course. This, of course, the tilapia that Andrew brought from home that Gregory and Doug are picking through. And what is it covered again in? 
This is tilapia encrusted with various nuts from 7-Eleven. Is... He's our bottom chef. It's... Okay, you guys have had a couple of bites of the various nuts and the deconstructed uh, corn... The chutney. Um, chutney. It's, not, it's not bad. It's not bad. It's really not. <laughs> um, the fish is cooked decent. Um, I love the texture of the, the, the nuts. Salt, homie. Salt. Seasoning is good. The corn offers a nice little cool compliment. Not bad. It's not, it's not bad. Okay, now let's move on to the dessert course. Yeah. This almond joy three ways. Those are like those are those weird sunflower seeds that have like they're like jacked sunflower <laughs> seeds. Uh oh. That is not a good reaction from the judges. One of them. I was wondering what all the red sauce and it is straight sriracha. Would you say there was too much sriracha on that almond joy dessert? Gregory, how does this strike you so far? The um, dessert. I think this is great. Um, this, this nice trio. I love trios. <laughs> you watch Top Chef. Um, I love the fruit compliment. Um, it's, it starts off nice and fruity. Really nice knife cuts. Chocolate and chili is one of my favorite combinations. We do it all the time. Um, nice elements of texture. Good job. All right. Okay. So that is Andrew Harris's submission. Very thorough. There were three courses covered. I'm finger-licking good is the review from Gregory Gorday. I am shocked, Andrew Harris, that you were able to make this on stage in the amount of time you took while acting in a sketch. I'm, I'm really impressed. Uh, so that has got to be a strong start. Now, uh, Sean McGrath, yeah. please tell us about what you prepared. All right, buckle up. <laughs> What you got there to start is uh, vegetable soup, um, which is, I got a bunch of cans of vegetables, and I open them, and then I put them in a pot, and then I turn the pot's heat on. It's like, it was like magic. And then what I did, and then what I did was I actually pillaged the uh, hot dog bar at 7-Eleven, which is a non-priced item. So it allowed me to have fresh produce, of some jalapenos and onions without actually paying for it. Let me, by the way, just uh, for people listening to this, describe uh, Sean's plate, the first plate. It's, sure. It's, um, it's a bowl. Yep. I think it's... It looks... Is that, the, is that a, the, the kind of bowl you make guacamole in? It's a mortar and pestle bowl. But it just has... Well, some... then I, there's avocados that have been kind of simmered and then half of a lime that I did not squeeze. Yeah. And then it's just... <laughs> All right. All right. So I'm that's... losing points on presentation. Plus, it yeah. was dying in the window over there for like five minutes. Talk, <laughs> let's talk about the bomb burrito. Okay. Sean. Now, I did a filet of bomb burrito, and it's on a nice little uh, medley of some sweet corn, uh, sugar snap peas, and green beans that I sauteed with some olive oil and some brown sugar. And then there is... I filleted the bomb... Filleted the bomb burrito. Yeah. Um, that was simmered as well. So we call it that because it came in a package that literally said bomb, bomb burrito. burrito. It is a now it really went off. And then for dessert is melted chocolate on Fritos. All right. Let's start with dark chocolate. Dark chocolate. Let's start with uh, I don't know if you guys want to mess with that soup. Yeah, I'm trying to get the avocado on the spoon and then none of the soup. 
You're going to try to eat around the soup. Yeah, if really, you can. really maneuver those spoons around. Try to, try to just kind of wipe right. off the spoon before you... Okay, what's, Gregory, what is your review of this uh, abomination of a soup? It's good. <laughs> it is. It's good. It's seasoned very properly. Seasoned, it's, it's hot. It's spicy. It's got the creaminess from the avocado. It has a surprise element. Because <laughs> I thought it was... Now, right, now, now, now they're going to. They're, Doug is applying some lemon to his sliced piece of bomb burrito purchased at the 7-Eleven. He's biting it. Thank you. I, Thank mean, you. I don't know if it if it counts because you bought it and then you just fried it up. <laughs> Look, well, you can't ask Michael Jordan how he dunks. Okay. <laughs> okay. Doug and Gregory, can you guys confer off mic for one quick second? Decide who you thought won. Uh, since, since Gregory got farther than me, I'm going to let him do the honors. <laughs> All right, Gregory, can you announce? Um, in terms of effort, in terms of dynamic flavors, textural contrast, overall, creativity and effort, and most delicious, <laughs> Andrew. Padma. <laughs> Andrew Harris wins our first ever Bottom Chef Challenge. Thank you so much. To Doug Adams and Gregory Gorday. You're listening to LiveWire. Hey, if you're going to be in the Portland area on March 28th, join us for our next live taping right here at Revolution Hall. We'll have former Congressman Barney Frank. Comics Ian Carmel and Aparna Nancherla will be here. Also, Kevin Allison from the Risk Podcast and music from Joe Pug. More information can be found at livewireradio.org. All right, one more time. Please welcome to the stage, Locke Lamond.
sharp and clean, but wasn't sharp. Locke Lamond here on Live Wire Radio. Well, that was an unforgettable hour, Jason Rouse. I'm not going to forget most of it for quite a while. <sighs> I'm so blown away by what I just happened. Um, I think from Sarah Seeger, I'll go back to Sarah Seeger. I don't think I'm going to be rinsing out and recycling my black bean cans anytime soon if this is going to turn into a giant garbage dump of a planet. I think I'm just going to skip the whole recycling bit for a while. I don't know if that was the message that she was trying to convey. That's what I took, and that's what's important. Yeah. It's not what she said, it's how I remember it, and how it fits into my finely tuned life. I just learned that the meals I've been making for my wife with ingredients purchased from 7-Eleven have suffered from a real lack of imagination on my part. Absolutely. It turns out if if you're somebody like Andrew Harris, the sky really is the limit. Wasn't that amazing? That was incredible. I couldn't believe that. Good knife work is what we heard. Yeah, and that's usually a bad thing on a radio usually show. Usually a bad but this, thing. This said case, about the Andrew knife Harris. work yeah. was, a, was a positive. Well, it's cool because we have the food in the green room now uh, worked out. Absolutely. And, uh, and we've had a heck of a time. Sriracha well, on candy bars is going to become a thing. I ate the rest of it. It's amazing. Take that home with you, everybody. Hey, thank you so much. That is our show. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Our thanks to our guests, Sarah Seeger, Gregory Gorday, Doug Adams, and Locke Lamont. This show is made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, and Ergo Depot. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of Livewire. Courtney Hameister is our head writer and producer. Jim Brunberg is producer and member of our house band, along with Jonathan Newsom and Dave Jorgensen. Jason Rouse is our associate producer and part of our writing team, along with Alex Falcone, Sean McGrath, and this week, guest writer Joanne Schinderly. Graham Nystrom is our technical director, house sound by D. Neil Blake. 
Lighting by Jillian Tabler. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council, Meyer Memorial like Trust, like, like the Scott Oregon Arts right? Commission, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, the Maybell Clark McDonald Fund, the Oregon Community Foundation, Work for Art, the Multnomah County Cultural Coalition, and listeners like you find beautiful people. For more information about our show or how to become a member of LiveWire, visit livewireradio.org. You can download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and find us on Twitter and Facebook at LiveWire Radio. I'm Luke Burbank, and we'll see you next week. PRI Public Radio International. Dear LiveWire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with, with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time, because we love having this job. Uh, Thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.